It may have been fitting that Emmanuel Classe labored on Sunday, but the reality is, this weekend, Josh Naylor was a real mother. You're listening to the Selfie Is Godcast with Zach Meisel and TJ Zupi. Subscribe to Selby Is Godcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Unbelievable. All right, Zach, tell me, worst decision, me crossing a line on Mother's Day, on Mother's Day of all days here in the intro, or lifting the left-handed pitcher in favor of going to a righty ahead of Josh Naylor, absolutely blistering a ball into the right field seats. I don't know. The call is yours. How are you going to use a joke that you ran by me via text and I didn't even acknowledge because it was so lame? I expanded on it, though. That was only a portion of the joke. I continued the joke. I think I I checked. Was it Carlos Estevez who, was, uh, who gave up the home run to, to Naylor on Sunday? Not only, I mean, I'm watching the game. And I still went to his baseball reference page to make sure that he's right-handed. I don't know. Maybe he's lefty, but he was injured or something, or he's trying something new. I, it made no sense. Trying something new? <laughs> this is not like the game that's out of hand in the Little League, and in the last inning, the kid would go up hitting left-handed. No, this is not that. <laughs> this is a close game. And a situation that the Angels had seen firsthand for the first two games in the series. So they set it up again. If there's one inning you don't want to let Josh Naylor beat you, it's the eighth inning. And when did they let Josh Naylor beat them? The eighth inning. They could have just pitched to Jose. Or I guess they could have just loaded the bases and kept everybody walking and pitched to Josh Bell. But there's one inning you don't want to pitch to that guy, and that's when they did it. Unbelievable. Awful managing by Nevin in this situation. Yeah, every opponent should have a left-handed reliever warming at all times when you're facing Cleveland. And that's, I mean, they've been pretty similar splits-wise. I think it's gotten a lot of attention that they can't hit lefties this year, but they their numbers are almost even. It's, it's just as deplorable against right-handers. But certain guys in the lineup, I think you want the left-hander in and you want to Maybe test Terry Francona, force him to make a, a move he might not want to make or, or go to someone who's not as experienced off the bench. But yeah, pulling your starter, even if, if you've reached that threshold you're comfortable with and you don't want Sandoval throwing another pitch, fine. But go get a lefty. It was bizarre. <laughs> Any lefty. <laughs> Legitimately. Go into the stands. Pull a lefty out. You might have better luck. Now, to Naylor's credit, He's handled some lefties in this series, handled some lefties a little bit. So good job by him. Nice to see finally some of the expected stats match the real stats. Three three games with a home run for anybody in this Cleveland lineup knocks me out of my seat. The fact that they all come in the eighth inning and they're all big in the game, and if not for a, a Class A meltdown on Friday night, you would have been looking at a sweep. Oh, no, situations, everything unfolds differently. But that's how closely uh, this series was to a, a, really a lot of different outcomes because Friday could have gone anyway. Saturday 
The come-from-behind victory blew me away. No, there was not a scenario on this earth where I saw them coming back to win that game, and yet they did, and then Sunday unfolds the way that it does. So this team just continues to confound me, confuse me. I, I don't know. Yeah, but we've had this conversation before. You're not having deja vu right now? <laughs> In what way? I mean, remember after the Yankees series? We said, boy, they could have gotten swept, or maybe they could have swept the Yankees because they had the <laughs> furious comeback in the ninth inning after Domingo Herman was throwing an absolute masterpiece. And then the next two nights, uh, they had Garrett Cole on the ropes, and I think they lost that game, what, 4-2, to two, and then they lost the next night 3-2, to two, something like that. It was, they were both really close games. This has been the whole season. Through 40 games, TJ, they've played 19 one-run games. That's insane. They're on pace to set a major league record, but it's more than that. It's not just 19 one-run games. There's been another nine games decided by two runs. That's mm. 70% of their games are either decided by one run or two runs. They're 19 and 21. Do you know how many games they've won by more than three runs? They've won by more than three? Have they won a game more by more than three? One. And it was their first they won nine to four against the Mariners oh. on that Friday in Seattle. That's it. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not easy to lead the league in saves and blown saves, but right. Class A is finding a way to do it, and that—that's what happens when every single game comes down to the wire. They don't spread these games out; all of them are close. It is why when we have thrown our temper tantrums and looked at the way this team has played, we always come back to the fact that. It's also a lot of coin flip games that have happened here, which could have gone in a negative direction, could have gone in a positive direction. And it was like one of the few things when they're going through their struggles, there are a couple things you could hang your hat on. One, you felt like it can't be any worse than what it's been. Like, could they be worse than a 75 WRC plus team? I don't know if that's possible. They might test it, but I didn't think it was possible. And the second thing is a few of these games could have gone differently. And even if the offense is struggling the way that they have, if you still manage to win those games and the record is 500 or better, just just the wins being on, you can, you can look past. You, you can forgive a few things when you're winning the games. When it does, you know, we'll, we'll still say, hey, it's a warning sign if you're not winning these games by much and they're not playing well, but they're still winning them. That's a good thing, but long-term, that's not a great, great way to go play but you still would feel better about where this club is at compared to where they're they're at still coming off of two out of three against the Angels. Yeah, I think you're seeing what happens when somebody gets hot in the lineup or a couple guys, right? The first, mm. I don't know, 37 games of the season, was anybody ever hot at the plate? <laughs> Hardly ever, no. Yeah. And, and, and their hot is like Ahmed Rosario having a three-hit game where they're all singles and but that's, infield hits. That's the thing, though, is I feel like, like I know they didn't win Friday night, but it felt like like there was like a just a glimmer of hope where like you recognized the team. They had, I think they scored four runs, but it was the style they played looked more reminiscent of who they are or who they're supposed to be. And Rosario has been hitting the ball the last week. Naylor hitting that home run off a lefty. Like, you saw signs. And I, I just... Naylor's obviously going really well right now. Rosario's going really, really well. 
Jose's been steady and solid all year. And it's just like when you have some components, you can piece things together. Because you'll you'll come up with an inning like you had in the eighth inning on Saturday night. It's just until that inning, like they never got the nailer hit. Yeah. And their numbers still with runners on base, with two outs and runners in scoring position, their team OPS plus is like 59 or something. Like it's insane. So they haven't gotten that big hit. Like they we've we've seen moments where they put runners on base. It's just it's really hard when you don't have A power and B a guy you can count on. And right now they're starting to emerge a little bit. And no, you jerks. It's not because it's warm out, okay? We've had there were a handful of beautiful 77 degree days in April. It's not the weather, it's just it's 40 games. Like guys get hot and they get cold, and finally a couple of them are getting hot. But you see the difference it makes. And you see how desperately they needed this because honestly, for over a month, just you just had nine guys who weren't functioning. And it's it's jarring to see a lineup that off for that extended of a period. Not not a single guy caught fire. No one would have two good consecutive games, it would seem like. And if there's just one guy, one guy that's red hot. Now, the thing about this lineup is, if Stephen Kwan is red hot, his level of red hot and how much he can impact a game is is limited by the fact that he's not an extra base home run hitting machine. Miles Straw, if he hits 350 for a week, that's fantastic, but he's probably also doing it with a 370 slug. <laughs> like it's it's not it helps and you need that, but th- as we've talked about so often, there are a handful of guys that can actually change and mold the offense. Naylor's one of them. Of course, Jose is one, Josh Bell is one. Quan for not being a power guy is pretty darn close to that. And Andre Jimenez. It's why I keep coming back to these names. These guys aren't performing. And so when they're not performing your offense, it's going to struggle to score runs. And just even if it's three games, you do, you're right. You see how much it transforms to have one guy that's coming up with a big hit, a meaningful hit, a guy with runners on base, and he's changing it with one swing of the bat. This offense is going to do that all the time, but damn, they need it some of the time. And that's where those guys in the middle of the order, that's where they, they have to come up big. And I, we a couple of shows ago, we talked about momentum and whether that's a a BS thing and or actually something that you can feel if it's real. And I, I'll come back to it. I think it's a real thing, but it's impossible to predict. You don't know when that roller coaster ride is going to take you on the ups and downs. You just you don't know until it's actually playing out. But I have seen like Andre Knott t- pointed to that home run that Naylor hit on Friday night, despite the fact that they don't win that game offensively. Andre, at least according, I even texted him or, or talked to him, but according to his tweets, he felt like it changed something within the offense. Now, I could say that sounds great, but then they came back on Saturday and they still sucked for 90% of the game until Naylor finally broke through and the offense kind of broke through a little bit in that eighth inning. But but do you see that transform transformation happening? Is there something to any of the positives that took place on Friday night being able to take a late lead and still being in position to win the game even though they didn't win it? Could have could that have lifted just made people feel a little bit better about themselves, got their confidence rolling? What I don't know. What do you think? I just I think convenience or I think momentum is 
a product of convenience. Write that down. That's like some Socrates shit. Momentum is a product of convenience. Yeah, because I think if if they end up losing Saturday six to two, no one is saying, "Hey, they turned a corner." <laughs> it's no, <laughs> they turned a corner. Right. They turned a corner into third base where they got thrown out in the first inning <laughs> before Quan could touch home plate. So no, I. I I think there's something to it individually. Yeah, I think that was big for Naylor. He crushed that Friday night off a lefty in a big moment. I think he can exhale. Mm. I mean, he's not a he's he's a well aware of his numbers against lefties. I'm sure he avoids Twitter and seeing everybody asking why Terry Franco is leaving him in every time he's facing a lefty, but um I think he could relax, but that doesn't mean the entire team is feeling like, hey, we did it. No, I I think you need to get some results. And I think that inning Saturday can help because that was collective. That was keeping the line moving, stringing a bunch of hits together, and then delivering the knockout punch at the end, doing everything, all the elements that they need to win games. They did. That can help you. But again, Sunday, it was 1-1 in the eighth inning. And if you lose 2-1, to one, <laughs> you're not saying, oh, well, we turned a corner, it's okay. No. So I, I think it's it's individual, and then the sum of everything kind of leads us to build these narratives. But when a bunch of guys are feeling good about themselves, and the biggest thing with something like this is everybody's pressing like crazy and internally panicking, but trying to, you know, stay on the, just be even keeled and say, oh no, like you can't press, you can't, but internally everyone is, but you're probably looking around the room like, no, I'm not panicking. Are you panicking? No, 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 we got to No, everything's great, but they all are. And so games (laughs) like panicking, you're panicking (laughs) (laughs) games like the last couple nights, they help that. But they that means nothing if you don't perform. So I don't I don't remember what was your question? I don't remember. But I I think this I think it was a very Friday was it like a transformative moment or something for this offense. Yeah. I I just and Terry Francona says it all the time. He's like because you know how people always want to point to like, oh, they had a players meeting or a team meeting and then they rattled off six wins in a row. And it's Terry Francona would be the first to tell you like he spoke to the team last season after they got their asses kicked by uh, Seattle, maybe, and in like August, early September. And then he spoke to the team, and then they lost four straight games. Now, people forget about that. <laughs> they think, they just remember, hey, they got super hot in September, but that started with like a terrible stretch against Baltimore, yeah. I think. And he he laughs at himself like like those things can be turning points but you don't know they're turning points until they're turning points and i think that's what this is well i think you're right the offense will be transformed if naylor is transformed and if friday was a transformative moment for him then that's a transformative moment for the team because he's he's your cleanup guy or your fifth hitter or somewhere in the middle of your lineup you are counting on him to provide power and run creation and to be a force and to make teams regret pitching around Jose Ramirez, give him more stuff to hit. These, he's a very important player on this team, whether we could talk about how he should be playing, who he should be playing against. But the reality is the way this team is built, they need Josh Naylor to do more of what he did this weekend 
Not all the time, but on occasion, you gotta be a threat. And, and to this point, I know the numbers haven't matched below the surface what he has provided on the surface, but to some extent, you're still the hitter that you are. And more than anything, we, I had talked about this a couple of weeks ago with Oscar Gonzalez, where it just feels like that dude just needed to experience some success. Naylor needed to experience some success. There's, there are some players that are just good and like Stephen Kwan. I don't think of him as like needing to feel about him, you know, like he needs to muscle up himself and get himself all fired up. No, that's not the type of hitter he is. But for Naylor, sometimes that dude needs a rocket up his butt so that he can just, you know, come out and go Super Saiyan on the other team. And so maybe Friday night is part of that too. Just helping him get back more of his his mojo, his whatever you want to call it, to just being the guy that, as he's rounding first base, looks into the opposing dugout like, nice call, jackasses. Thanks for throwing me that pitch. Why don't you think about next time, do that to Ramirez again, and I'll do the exact same thing. The guy that was rocking the baby when he's hit another home run off of Garrett Cole. I think Naylor needs some element of that in his game, and it's tough for him to have that bit of edge that I love about him and I think is a perfect fit for this team because not everybody has that sort of edge. How do you have that sort of edge when you're 60% below a league average hitter? And I could say, well, his exit velocities are great, and it, well, it's still tough to have that little bit of edge about yourself. So it's nice to see that return this weekend. Yeah, I mean, if you want to get nerdy, and I know you always do, you can look up his WOBA and his expected WOBA and see that he's he's been literally the unluckiest hitter in baseball. And so I think it's just refreshing for him, too, to see that Sometimes you can make hard contact and do some damage. His hard hit rate is by far the best of his career. His metrics are just, they, they're the best. Go play with the baseball savant little sliders and you'll see that a lot of them are red. You know, the chase rate's not good, but everything else is. And it's not a perfect profile by any means, but it's a guy who has historically crushed righties mm -hmm. and should be doing that the best he's ever done it based on the quality of contact and all the other inputs. So I think for him, just having that reassurance, watching the ball sail over the fence three straight days, and just just so happens that it was three straight really crucial moments, <laughs> I think that's cherry on top. And you're right. I mean, it's this lineup, his three home runs, over the weekend, the eighth inning bombs account for like 14% of the team's home runs this season, right? So it's, they need that desperately, um, you know, especially with Rosario finally getting back into a rhythm. There are guys on base, like there are runs to mm -hmm. be driven in and they need someone to do that because it hasn't been Josh Bell so far. Jose Ramirez, I mean, he probably should have had a home run on Sunday. As well, he missed it by about a foot, and the wind was blowing in pretty hard. But they just need the threat. They need, even if it's not home runs, they need extra bases. They need, they need, like, it's amazing. They have 40, I think 42 stolen bases, at least going into Sunday. And they're 42 of 49. Like, that's a super high percentage. They're second in stolen bases, third in success rate. And that's with never reaching base, okay? So <laughs> if the offense can get going a little bit and, you know, you start hitting, like, think about how much easier things are 
because they can get guys to first. They still draw a lot of walks. You know, Jose can get on. They still have a ton of infield hits. You could have got a first, and then just having the threat of Naylor hitting one in the gap, or Jimenez hitting one in the gap, and then you can score a run from first with just one hit. You don't need Stephen Kwan to sacrifice bunt. You don't need to hope for an error to score a run. Like, it's just, it makes things so much easier when you have some muscle in the middle. Well, think about it, too, for anybody else in that lineup. When you're going through it the way this offense is, everybody up there wants to be the one person that unlocks the offense and gets everyone feeling good. And when you're struggling the way that they have, even if you get a single, I mean, personally, you feel like, okay, good. I got a single, raises my batting average, raises my numbers. I made a left turn at first base. And in this case, I meant to, unlike the Angels situation where they would not like to go to second base and get tagged out. I, I like the sell job on that. Was it Drury? I think uh, just like, oh, well, I, I, I didn't, I, what? I was just going, just going back here, just heading back to the base. And you can't commit to running back there full speed because then that shows that you're guilty. So you try to just play it off. Anyway. I did the same exact single, thing at a baseball camp where... <laughs> I think it was Jim Tomey and I think Alex Ramirez. I think it was Jim Tomey's baseball camp and Alex Ramirez was like the special guest for that. I did the same thing. And I like I will never forget that because I've been waiting for the day a major league player does it and it finally happened. <laughs> where I I legged out a single and then I made I made a huge turn though and then I went back like what are you talking about? No, I wasn't going anywhere. Yeah. Just, just, just uh, heading back to first base here. I, th- I thought I saw a- $20 bill on the ground. I was just trying to pick it up. I don't know what you're talking about. All right, so my point is, if there was a point here to be made, everybody can just settle into just doing what makes them them. And also, on the bases, you know, it shows when you win a game like Saturday, everyone feels better. But I was prepared to come on here this after this weekend and rip the base running and, like, the lack of f- fundamental attention to detail and taking awful risks has been brutally bad, really bad. And I know that's the, t- the way this team wants to play. But at the same time, if I know that guys behind me are struggling to get base hits, well, guess what? I'm going to take more risks. I'm going to try to get to second base. I'm going to try to get to third base on situations where you probably should not. And that means you're playing outside yourself. You're taking those risks because you think you need to. How much calmer do you feel when Josh Naylor or Josh Bellers anybody's going to pick me up after I get to first base. I don't have to do it all myself. Just helps everybody fit into the roles that they need to be playing. And I'm not, I'm not saying that that's happening after this weekend because they still had their struggles trying to score runs outside of eighth innings. And thank God for Naylor going off the way that he did. But still, I just feel like that's where it can help. Just one guy, one guy that can change the game with one swing of the bat, getting that hot. Man, does that unlock so much in an offense. When 70% of your games are decided by two runs or fewer, all of those mistakes, those mental lapses, are gonna, they're going to cost you doubly. I mean, it looked like for a while that that decision in the first inning by Rosario to try to advance to third, which just was totally pointless. Just stay at second base. You're super fast. Like, what can you score with with two outs and a runner in third? Or with two outs, what can you score? On what play can you score from third that you can't play score from second? Wild pitch. That's about it. Yeah. So it it just, it, 
like, and you're right. I understand everybody feeling desperate, but something like that is just, you were, that's a gift run. That is a sack fly hit to deep right field. And you know that Hunter Renfro has a good arm. What what are you doing? And for a while, I mean, I, I feel like watching that game, the whole time I'm like, well, okay, they're down, what, three to two. Like, it feels like that's just, that's going to be the difference. Or what was the play before Neto hit the home run? Oh, Rosario dropping the little flare into left field. And that happens with two outs. And the very next pitch goes into the seats. And it's like like these little, t- every miscue mm-hmm. has been killing them. But you forget about all that when you have a couple rallies. And then you move on and maybe you don't feel that sort of pressure and you don't make those miscues. Well, thanks for joining the show. It shows you how excited we are to see any positives because it's been, it feels like it's been a while. And I want to have a show where we did some positives. And this show that you're listening to is the Selby is Godcast. I'm TJ. That's Zach. 25 minutes in. Welcome to the show. Thank you for clicking play on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. If you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to click down below, subscribe, like the the show. We need all the help we can get getting it to more Guardians fans. We appreciate you being here. And of course, Patreon.com slash Godcast is where you get additional episodes of the show and access to the Discord, which I think, thankfully, everyone has gotten to take a deep breath since the end of Saturday and then into Sunday and then everything plays out. I think everyone's going to wake up on Monday within the Discord feeling a lot better than maybe where they were at Friday heading into Saturday and through most of Saturday's game. I mean, Class A is an enigma right now. It's very strange. And kind of what we were talking about before, where even though they lost Friday night, there were definitely some positives to take away from it. He's pumping 101 again. I know. Topped out, I think, at 100.9, and yet still not missing bats and not getting outs. And it's just, I haven't dug deep enough into the data to come up with some obvious solution i know they've talked mechanics but i don't know it's just it's strange and he's pitching i wondered if it was a like yeah i wondered if it was a mechanic thing that was sometimes pitchers will talk about how something in their delivery is not their body's not unlocking something in the, the quite the right way so you can actually lose a little bit of velocity on your body not coming through cleanly the way that you need to or or not staying balanced on the hill the way that you need to be. And so are things within a delivery that maybe prevent you from getting your, to your high-end velocity. And I had wondered, maybe that's one of the things that's going on with him. And then he comes back, and I'm looking at the radar gun, and I go, oh, man, we're seeing shades of, of old Class A here. And, of course, the game that he's throwing the hardest is the game that he gives it up. And I'm thinking, go, no, go back to throwing 97, you idiot. Stop throwing so damn hard. But really, yeah, that that is perplexing to to say the least. And I'm I'm very interested to see where he goes. That's how how do you or, or you know, how do you how do you fix what's ailing you when it looks like you're gaining velocity and things should be trending in a better direction? And overall, like the numbers aren't terrible, but 
he's clearly not locked down Emmanuel Classe that he's been the last two years. I mean, the thing that was most amazing about him to me last season was the efficiency. It seemed like every time he pitched, I think it was 44 of his 75 appearances, uh, they were 10 pitches or less. Last season, he had five appearances with 20 or more pitches. And now, during the regular season, he never went more than an inning. So, five appearances with 20 or more. This season, already five appearances with 20 or more pitches. So, it's just, I mean, you said it. It's like he's just constantly laboring. And it just doesn't, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know the answer. I, but I do know that if they're going to continue to play one run games every other night, they need him to find more efficiency and figure this out. I guess the good thing with him is it's okay. He gives up the double to lead it off. It's still not like a lot of rocket shots. It's been a lot of single up the middle and another one. Later in the, the Sunday game, the one up the middle, he's like, what? some of those are just, what, what, what do you expect? It's whether it's going to be at an infielder or it's not going to be at an infielder, and those things happen. It, but to me, it's more, he's he's not, as, as you said, as efficient, and he's not missing as many bats that would just help mitigate some of the crappy contact that he gives up that are going to lead to base hits. I'm not in panic mode with him. I would be more in panic mode if he was struggling to get to the high-end velocity but because we saw that, it's like, okay, that's there and it's getting better. I just feel like they're smart enough as a staff. They can figure out whether it's it's usage, whether it's poor location, whether he's been too predictable, whether he's tipping something, whatever the case may be. I think they can figure that part out. I am more pleased to see that the velocity is, it's it's not dropping, it's getting better. We'll see. I, I just have enough faith in, in him that he's going to maybe maybe he never gets back to this year being what he was last year. But I think he's a freaking good reliever. I think they can get that figured out. Whiff rate dropped from 80th percentile to 13th percentile. Chase rate 100th percentile to 35th percentile. And strikeout rate 83rd percentile to 8th percentile year over year. So not fooling people, not missing bats, but the stuff's not like drastically different. So it's it's a little weird. And we've seen, I mean, he yeah. threw a slider Sunday that like that 92 or 93 just totally fell out of the zone. I mean, it, like the stuff's there. For whatever it's reason, it's just not quite as effective. I'll just, I'll, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt that he can just continue to work through this and maybe when and the get weather back gets to being warmer. The, maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. But you know what? Bouncing back is a key part of being a closer. We'll see how he bounces back. And for a starter, a young starter in particular, I could not have been more intrigued by seeing how Tanner Bybee was going to bounce back. And could that dude have bounced back in any better fashion? Yeah, he could have thrown a no-hitter. Could have. You're right. I think there's something to Cleveland targeting the command artists 
that come out of college, that got the experience, and you build up all the the stuff around it, right? But the thing that made Bieber Bieber was that he was a strike thrower. The thing that made Kluber Kluber was he was a strike thrower. And I think that allows these guys to come up to the majors and not... I mean, there are going to be growing pains, but they can succeed here right away because it's still the root of who you are is a guy who can throw strikes, who can locate. And like, Bybee, man, he put the baseball exactly where he wanted to the whole day until the eighth inning. And you could see some frustration when he hit. Was it Drury that he hit? And like, he was, I think he threw a ball up above the zone, maybe the at bat before that. And he was like, it was the first time he showed a little bit of frustration. And I mean, he just can put the ball exactly where he wants. And then that's, it hasn't, he hasn't been able to do that all four starts, but like you can see what the foundation of what makes him so intriguing. And when he's doing that, and when he can spot the 96 mile an hour fastball, then he's got the changeup working, and the slider is nasty. It's just good luck. To see a game like that against a Los Angeles lineup that's very good, and I know Trout wasn't in it, but that's still a deep lineup with a lot of guys that can hurt you. And to make Otani take some of the foolish swing, even the swings where Otani was staying alive, they were bad swings. And the only reason that he even sniffed contact is because he's Shohei Otani and really freaking good with his bat, uh, being able to manipulate where he wants to put it. And to see, coming off of a bad outing, one, two, guys have gotten more of a look at him. There's more big league footage. There's more big league data. And to see that some of the hitters, the reaction, especially early, some of the reactions to that changeup, which was Bugs Bunny-esque dropping out of the zone. Guys, they, they looked absolutely stupid swinging at it. And then he'd come back with a fastball. And then, as we joked about before, there were at-bats where it would be in the catcher's glove seemingly before the guy would even start his swing. The, the level of hitters being unable to figure out what he's doing. It's just, that is so intriguing to see that from a young pitcher. And of course, he had pretty much everything working as he would have wanted in this game. And as he just had in his previous outing, not every outing is going to be like that. But he goes out and faces good hitters and makes them look absolutely foolish. The The only thing that's holding him back is maybe a lack of experience. Later in the game, I thought the broadcast did a really good job with Rick Manning there explaining how a young pitcher can get out of himself late into a game, could be looking ahead, could be thinking about you know, I'm, I'm nearing what my pitch limit is going to be, so I need to make the most of these pitches. And as we saw, he was overamped in that last inning. He was overthrowing, and he just got away from himself. But my God, everything up to that moment is everything we've talked about. His his ability, his ceiling, his his mental capabilities on the mat. It's just all of that was was shining bright in this game. It was cool that it happened on the, the Peacock broadcast because it's cool to hear other people sort of discover what he's doing, but also knowing that more of the country or a part of the country does, doesn't get to see him pitch. I mean, hell, we haven't gotten to see him pitch much as it is to begin with, but 
that he got to do that on that stage facing an old high school teammate in, in Sandoval. So that's just cool. It was just a very cool story and seeing that all unfold was very awesome. Did he give up any hard contact? I mean, the two hits he gave up were not well struck. Mm-mm. I mean, they weren't they weren't what I would consider cheapies, but they certainly weren't rocket shots. Just little bloopers to center field. Yeah, it was just he was just in command. And he efficient too. I mean, he was seemed like he was throwing ten pitches an inning for most of the outing. Uh, very impressive, and I, and I think, I mean, the big thing with him, no walks. Mm. Logan Allen, I think, has seven walks in 21 innings. Like The two of them combined have been really good. 46 strikeouts in 43 innings. 11 walks. ERA of 3.3. I mean, it's it's been critical. Another stat for you, this team, 43% of their starts this year have been made by rookies. And that's, well, I I was going to say it should change, but it might not. I mean, even if McKenzie comes back, you're still going to have two, I would think. Yeah. Until McKenzie and Savali come back and you prove to me that it's one of Allen or Bybee going down to make room for the second one of them, assuming Battenfield goes down to make room for the first. You're still going to have two rookies every turn through the rotation. That's 40%. So that's 40 40 percent right it'll come down but very slightly (laughs) and who knows gavin williams timeline so i mean they're gonna have to be cautious and keep an eye on their workloads but i mean they've they've been as solid as anyone i mean like you look at this line it's like yeah bybee wasn't good in his last start that happens it happens to cal quantrill it happens to mckenzie and savalia plesak and like that, that that's normal. Like they're both sure. guys four starts so far have been, if you would have covered up the name and said, Hey, this is veteran pitcher. A, I would have been like, Oh, he's having a nice year. Solid. No complaints. Yeah. Even in the game where he struggles, a veteran pitcher gets an opportunity to continue to work through that. And still at the end might have, even though they got kicked around, they still might have given you the five or six innings. Like I I remember Scherzer in his Detroit career, before he really unlocked full Max Scherzer, there'd be games where that dude would give up five, six, seven runs, but you'd look up and he still gave the team seven innings. You're like, how did he do that? And, you know, Bybee had one of those starts where he gets an opportunity if he's older and they're not concerned about innings and workloads and pitch counts and all that stuff. He, he still might have turned in uh, an outing where it didn't give you a great chance to win, but he still helped the club. I, I just, how can you be any more encouraged by, by what we've seen so far? And they just look like they have the mental aptitude to handle the, the difficulties of this level and the inevitable ups and downs that they're going to face. It's going to get interesting. Figure McKenzie comes back in a few weeks. Maybe he replaces Battenfield, and a lot can change. Then Savali comes back, and what happens? I don't know. Savali will be interesting because some of the advanced data suggests he was actually throwing the ball okay. 
be a great thing if you're if we're sitting here a couple of weeks, well, more than a couple of weeks from now. But we're into June and there's legitimate conversations about, oh, my gosh, what do you do with all this starting pitching? I mean, even a few short weeks ago, everyone was screaming about having to see the starting starters that they were seeing. Now, Bybee and Allen coming up, it, it has completely transformed the way that I feel about this rotation. Not that it's answered every single question and that I think, oh, yeah, they're set to go enter a playoff series now with this group. Even even knowing entering the year how exciting it was that they had these young guys in the minor leagues, how do you feel about this rotation now upon seeing it actually play out? I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know because there's still like the roadmap to the end of the season is very unclear to me. Because those guys, I think I think they both through exactly 132 and two-thirds innings last season in the minors. So you can increase that a little bit, and it's not just about the innings total. It's about how you get there, too. But you are going to have to sort of slow play it or just be cautious or have a quick hook sometimes. And it's hard. I think you just have to be fluid when you're leaning on rookies like this because... You have to go into this just expecting it's possible that one of those guys goes through a three-stretch rut, three-start rut, where he just doesn't have it, and he's something's off mechanically, and you know, maybe he needs a trip to AAA to figure it out. You also have to expect injuries. So I just I don't know what this rotation looks like in a month. It's going to be fascinating to watch. I just don't know, and then I don't know. However it looks, is that the best it can look? I don't know. I don't know what criteria they're going to base all this on. And then the X factor to me is Gavin Williams. The hell is he supposed to prove in the minors still? And like he can stay down there and still try to refine his command and a consistent delivery and stuff, sure. But guess what? His fastball topped out at 101 last week. He got 17 swinging strikes on his fastball alone. Three more on his curveball. You know how many swings they even took at his curveball? Three. Opponents this well, season. That's, that's... Hold on. This is the best stat. <laughs> Gavin Williams, six starts in the minors, 0.98 ERA. Opponent slash line. It's just stupid. 119. 198-198. That's the shit pitchers were doing at the plate, and they instituted the DH in the National League. They might as well just stop letting hitters face Gavin Williams. It was like the Guardians offense before this weekend against the Angels. So my point is, what is the best version of a 2023 Guardians rotation? I don't know. It might include Gavin Williams. Does it include Savali? Does does it include Quantrill? Does it include both of Allen and Bybee? One of them? Neither of them? I don't know. And how... Like, Allen and Bybee... Also, consider this. It's mid-May. They've had four starts. Don't you think they're much better pitchers or much more equipped to take on a major league assignment than they were three weeks ago? What might they look like in August? 
Like there are so <laughs> many questions here that are impossible to answer. But I think the shape of the rotation is pretty good almost by necessity because they've had to throw these guys in the fire and yeah. they've handled it really well. This is the what this is what happened with the position players last year. They're now getting that from their young pitchers in the rotation this year, where they just tested them and have gotten great results. And getting back to Williams throwing a hundred, that dude only has a he has a finite number of one hundred mile per hour pitches that he's going to throw in his life. How many of them do you want him throwing at double A, triple A to guys that can't even sniff his stuff? And the other thing is, you mentioned hitters at that level don't know what to do with his curveball and they're not going to swing at it. So how do you refine? How do you get better if you're never fully challenged? If you're not facing great hitters, I, I remember this was a conversation about I think Drew Pomerantz, where in his minor league career he would just pump these fastballs and get guys out, and it's like, well, you never did anything but throw the fastball, and his point was always, didn't need to. I struck out everybody. I was fantastic. But the thing is, you're, you're never tested because you never need to go throw that other stuff. Now, I know the organization still encourages trying to develop the rest of your stuff, but you're not going to get fully tested and really fully refine yourself until you're facing major league hitters like Shohei Otani. They did it with Shane Bieber. They told him when he was at double A, hey, you're not going to need this right now, but you've got to mm -hmm. develop a changeup because when you get to the majors, you will. And he was like, but no one can touch my stuff. What am I doing? <laughs> They're like, trust us. This will help you. It will play well off your fastball. And he's, I mean, he's, I feel like he said it's a work, been a work in progress for the last five years, but um, that's the sort of thing they do. It, it's, and you, if you're a pitcher in Cleveland system, I think by now you just trust that there's a reason that they're suggesting something to you, but yeah. Yeah, I, I think they, that, what they're telling their young pitchers about needing that secondary stuff is it holds a lot more weight than all my teachers in high school that would tell me, you know, you need to learn this math because you're not always going to have a calculator in your pocket at all times. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah? <laughs> not going to have a calculator in my pocket at all times. Get out of here. I don't know. To me, learning a changeup in double A when my fastball is blowing everybody away is like learning a cosine and all the different types of <laughs> angles and geometry and all that shit you never needed but god forbid you teach me how to file my taxes <laughs> or throw a change up someday i'll learn <laughs> uh speaking of shohei i mean it's always a pleasure to watch this guy play because there remember for years it was how are they going to push mike trout and really make everyone realize how great of a player mike trout is and shohei otani is just like such a joy. You don't need to work to make this guy marketable. This guy just oozes joy to watch this guy play. And he never, he takes himself serious. He takes the situation seriously, but he never takes himself too seriously. I have seen so many, you know, uh, highlights of he'll, he wanted a pitch on the corner. And so he makes like a goofy face at the umpire, like, oh, like a sad face. Like, where was that on the corner? I really wanted that. Or, he gets fooled on a pitch and like he gives like a cool you got me face and and this guy is it, it truly is a joy to watch him 
The only unfortunate thing is we didn't get to watch him pitch this series, but they were making a comment on the broadcast. And I think we've even talked about this before, but because they said it, it had me thinking about it again. The, well, imagine how good he could be if he only pitched or if he only hit. And I swear, I think this guy, part of the reason why he is so good and he's so seemingly carefree, I'm sure he's not inside. He's a very competitive guy, I'm sure. But I think because of the way that he's not so hyper-focused on hitting and so hyper-focused on pitching. I think that helps him excel and be the best version of himself because he is stretched so thin. I think this dude, we talk about unicorns. I think this guy is like a... Unicorns talk about him being a unicorn. That's how good he is and how rare his skill set is. Yeah, someone's probably done this before, but I would be fascinated to read uh, or someone should write it. What his? Yeah. Are you sorry? Yeah, Siri. The way he has to study, like you see before every game, a pitcher and a catcher going over the scouting report for the opposing hitters, right? And they have team meetings too every afternoon, where you just hitters go over a scouting report for a pitcher, and then think about. I mean, does any player know as much about every single player in the league as he does? He has to know about every <laughs> hitter no. he's facing, and then he has to know about every pitcher he's facing, and learning the <laughs> yeah. tendencies of both sides of it and study. Like, I mean, he was the kid studying flashcards for two different vocab tests. Like, I mean, I, I don't know, I don't know what the analogy is here, but it's it's amazing, and I would love to read all of the preparation that goes into just his day. Um, yeah, I, I don't think, I mean, it's, it's been discussed and yet I still don't think it's been discussed enough. The fact that he's going to be a free agent. If this was the NBA where free agency is 10 times bigger than the season and we talk about Guys who are going to be free agents in two years and if they want to leave and Donovan Mitchell's going to the Knicks already, even though he's under contract here for two more seasons. And imagine like if people talked about baseball on a national scale, I mean, Shohei Otani, the fact that he's going to be a free agent, he should be the most coveted free agent of all time. Is that crazy? Maybe in, in any sport. Yeah. He's in his prime. He does everything. I mean, he legitimately could win a Cy Young Award and also be an MVP candidate. And or he, he could like win the, the MVP dude. and be a Cy Young candidate. <laughs> he's, he's, he seems like he's so like personable and marketable. And the, and the marketing. That, that's the big thing to me. So think of the teams that'll be in the running. First of all, it'll be just like it was when he came to the United States in the first place. And every team creates some binder full of just a presentation to show him. And most of those teams knew there was no chance. And the same thing will happen. Most teams know they don't have a chance because they're not going to spend $500 million on any player. But if you were ever going to, this might be a good idea. This might be the right guy to do it to. The point is, I don't know if you're going to get your money's worth on the field. You very well might if he can continue being an incredible elite top shelf two-way player for a long time but the marketing you can do 
my God, you've got the best attraction in baseball. And I just, I'm really interested to see what that number ends up being. Because you look at what some players have already signed for, and we've pushed 400 million. And I mean, he's, I feel like the bidding starts far above that. Who knows where it ends? Starts. Starts in the 500 range, I would think. Yeah, uh, and you're right. You know, who who knows if they that guy lives up to that investment? But you think of the early years of that window. My God, is he a difference maker? Now, of course, unlike other sports, he can be as good as he is, and the Angels just still struggle. They can't make the playoffs. It's very rare. So maybe that's the downs or the uh, the the argument against him being the most coveted free agent of all time in any sport. Need to see that. Imagine him in a playoff series. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, there are, are guys, when we've talked about Trout, I watch Trout play. I know how freaking good he is. When I watch Trout, I don't always think like, oh, my God, this was the best player on the planet. But when I watch Shohei, there is just, there's a different level of, I need to be watching every, everything this guy does. Everything. I can't miss a single at-bat from this guy because of the unbelievable things that he does. Just the fact that I can say the sentence. I can pretend I'm Phil Nevin or, well, whatever team he ends up on. The fact that you could even consider, like, and you're in a playoff series. Hey, should we bring back our best hitter on short rest? to pitch in <laughs> game five of the series or I mean it's it's baseball needs him in in October that that's that's the bottom line so I'm sure he'll go somewhere to a team that is a contender um it's a shame that the angels haven't been able to put more talent around trout and Otani in the past it's it's a waste of their parts of their careers, it's a waste of just tons of talent and also just for baseball, like the greatest marketing opportunity you can have, showcasing your best players on the biggest stage. And you also, I would imagine, if if Shohei's facing a right-handed hitter, you're not lifting him for the left-handed pitcher. <laughs> if you're the manager, it's tough to screw that up when you got Tony. Nevin, I can't even imagine what the conversations they're having, they had on their post-game shows about that decision on Sunday. Still, to like, what are you thinking? I know, Sandoval, oh, well, he's got reverse splits, and oh, well, very recent track record for Naylor suggests he can hit a lefty. Still left me scratching my head, but I think Guardians fans will, they'll, they'll happily accept. You're more than welcome to critique Everything Terry Francona says and does, just remember, every fan base does that with their manager too. And in some instances, like we saw on Sunday, it's justified. That's rough. Sandoval, is it? It's been cool to see him fully blossom into being uh, more of a front of the line, front of the line type of starter. This is someone that was linked to the Guardians a couple of years ago as maybe being uh, someone they're interested in. And at the time, I was like, "Really, him? Like, they they might have known something about him being a pretty good pitcher." 
the only Sandoval on my radar is former Cleveland great Pablo Sandoval. Need to get that uniform. It's a shame they never did a bobblehead for you to go get at a show at some point. Laters.